What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture and specifically movies this week. I am Pat Sheehan with your co-host David Martinson. I decided because I always pronounce people's names wrong, I'm just going to start pronouncing yours wrong every week. Just just call me Martinsons. Just add an S. You like to do that. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to like actually make a bingo game for myself and actually for you as well. And I'm just going to play bingo with like all of our, our catchphrases and things we say every single week. The crutches we yes. have when we're thinking. <laughs> yeah, we definitely have those. Before we, we actually jump in, because we're, we we're going to be talking a lot of movies this week, hit that subscribe button on YouTube, go to SoundCloud.com slash NostalgiaPod and let us know how we're doing. Give us a five star rating and review. And also tell your friends about us. We want to grow. We want to be reaching as many people as possible. So help us out. Dave, we're, we're going to be talking Alita Battle Angel, Cold War, and then pretty big Oscar conversation because somehow the Oscars are this Sunday, which we'll be breaking down afterwards. Yeah. Holy shit. Crazy that the year is moving this quickly. But before we do, I wanted to talk about movie theater going experiences. I feel like I, I bring this up, I don't know, like once a month. I have like a weird movie going theater experience. Last night, that was a new one for me. I go to Alita Battle Angel. It's a Wednesday premiere. Small crowd. It's late. The movie, you know, I get, get to the previews, I'm watching it Dolby. I'm like, oh man, this is a great experience so far. Dolby's like, oh, look how much darker our screen is than, than usual. I'm like, yeah. oh, hell yeah. <laughs> contrast, <laughs> yeah. bitch. <laughs> Give me all that contrast. Let me see the depth of that fire. And then... It's about to start the movie, and Under the Sea starts playing, and the lights go on, <laughs> and I was like, is this part of the Dolby, like, show? Like, are they trying to be like, look how much darker it is that when the lights are on? I, I had no clue. And no, my theater just started playing Under the Sea, and the movie was not synced up. The guy walks in, he's like, did someone call for me? He points at me, he's like, did you call for me? I was like, what? Just fix the movie. Like, I literally was just like, what are you talking about? Like, you don't need a ticket for this, just go put the movie on. Like this, it was so weird. So he goes and the movie starts playing without the sound and under the sea still playing. So I'm just like, dog, it's like 11 o'clock at night at this point. <laughs> I'm tired. I'm seeing this movie, which I'm like mediocre, like hype on. Yeah. And then they finally get it playing. But the, I got a free movie ticket out of it. I'll take it. What, what's been your like weirdest movie going experience recently? Well, I actually had something similar to that that also got me a free pass where I went to see Annihilation on the Thursday and... They didn't like load the projector, so there was nothing to play after the previews. And I don't know whatever digital thing they were doing, they couldn't do it that night. They told us we had to come back. So I didn't end up getting to see Annihilation until the following day. But recently, actually, I had a leader for me. I had a guy answer his phone right when the movie started, right after previews end. And he was talking really silently. He was barely saying anything, but I could see he was on his phone. He was like five seats over from me, and he had his, the screen on. I was like, dog, like, for real? <laughs> Like, what's that important <laughs> that you're going to answer? Not even text, like not other people. Oh, my um, God. And there's a guy in front who was by himself and is like really, really animated. And like, like his re- he was audibly saying his reactions out loud despite being there by himself. Which I was like, all right, you do you, man. I'm glad you're having fun. But I mean, you always can think of a story for just about any scenario, especially when you see as many movies as I do. Yeah. W- when I saw Cold War, we'll get to it in a little bit, but we, I had a really weird re- crowd reaction. What I don't think I talked about in the pod, which just really makes me laugh every time. So I, when I saw Spider-Verse last year, there was this guy sitting next to me who it was with his family. And every time something funny happened, instead of laughing, he just went, huh? Just like that. Every single time. <laughs> Literally everything. I just couldn't. I just started laughing before he would even do it. Just because it really was just so ridiculous. Um, people are weird, man. And we're included in that. But just have some movie theater etiquette and make sure you load, load the projector now on movie theater people that's all we ask we just want to see the movies we pay for i'll take a free ticket anyways elite battle angel robert rodriguez your guy no not your guy sin city though since a director from dust till dawn more importantly spy kids you know he's done some films done some films this was kind of in production hell for a while you know it was supposed to come out early 2000s had a director didn't have a director just really had a lot of issues. Finally, James Cameron got behind it, helped write it and produce it. Came out this past weekend. And what did you think? Good, bad, in between? Uh, James Cameron like was the one who first really proposed it, but he chose Avatar. That's really the reason it didn't get made, which is kind of interesting. And yeah, when I first saw the trailers uh, last year, I want to say like late summer when they came out, whenever it was, I wasn't really sold. I was like, eh. That's probably not going to be that good. It was supposed to come out early December. They made the decision to push it till mid-February, which I think was a wise decision just because a lot of stuff came out in December. Even though there wasn't a Star Wars, there was Mary Poppins, Bumblebee, Aquaman, which did great. 
you know, there was a lot, lot, lot of mouths to feed. So I think coming out now, where there was no really direct competition besides like a movie, Powdering Your Dragon next week, probably a good call, even if it might not have the audience awareness. But I was pleasantly surprised. I, I had more fun with it than I thought I would. I mean, obviously, there's there's plenty of issues. But frankly, it's also reviewing better than I thought it would, to be honest. I thought this was going to be like Mortal Engines level bad. But it's not. It's it's solid. I think I think it's okay for this kind of movie, to be honest. Yeah, I, I had a similar reaction. You know, it really reminded me of like Ex Machina mixed with Ready Player One in a, a lot of ways. Um, I don't know if that's like a bold pre- comparison at all. It's fine. You know, it's the kind of movie where you go, you enjoy. There's some re- there's some scenes that are really fun to watch. The motorball scenes are pretty cool. A lot of the fight scenes are pretty cool. There's a lot of moments where you're just kind of like, okay, what are we doing here? Like, let's speed this up. Let's move this along. But I think overall, it's an enjoyable film. And f- for having all these production issues and for being in, in production hell in a way, I think it came out pretty well. The animation on it, I thought, was also like pretty well done. When you go back and forth between being like real humans and CGI so often, it can really stand out. And I didn't think that, that it was distracting at all from this. So definitely an enjoyable film. What did you like most about it? Like, what did you think were like the best things at this Elite Battle Angel? I, I agree on, on the effects, too. I mean, the beginning, there were some jarring like composites and like green screens. But after that, I thought it was it was it was, it was done well. And the Ready Player One comp makes sense having the full CGI character and whatnot. So I, I think the quality of the movie kind of is analog with rpo but yeah um i thought the action scenes whether motorball or just the fights are definitely the best part of it i mean the world building's done really well setting up the iron city and uh zalem the, the city in the sky whatever i think they, they do that kind of well obviously there's a lot of exposition in the beginning that, that's whatever that's what we expect with these kind of like dystopian cyberpunk films they're just gonna you know drop all their cards right away and just tell you dump a bunch of info dumps right but there's no guns in iron city which actually makes the fights more visceral because it's all fists and swords and shit so i thought the action was a lot of fun especially once alita realizes her her powers and whatnot and motorball there's a lot of motorball but i immediately thought of like this kind of reminds me of like pod racing in phantom menace big action set set piece that doesn't need to be there but it's really fun to watch, and because they're, they're actively fighting, and they're like they're riffing too. It's like, is that is that weapon legal? Like they're literally like fucking killing each right. other, doing playing this game. And it's like, what are the what are the rules for motorball? Nobody cares about the rules. They're just there to watch people get fucked up. Yeah, I think the the action overall is the best. I was like, how do you how do you win this? You put something in, like in the scrimmage or whatever they described it as. They put that thing in the hole. Yeah. It's basically like basketball, right. but like also roller derby. But all of a sudden, right. when you get to like the main stage, it's, no, you just you just fuck each other up. Like you're just trying to kill each other. H- have the ball when you cross the line after doing the lap, I think is what happens. Like that one guy wins, you see, before she's racing. Right. I think that's how he won. doesn't matter. Sure. <laughs> it, it doesn't matter, but it's definitely strange. One question I had before we, we continue to talk about the things are good. The, with the animation, especially for Alita and and the counterparts that she had in the flashbacks similar to her why are their eyes so big is that a shout out to the the i can't remember if it's chinese or japanese yeah it's based off a japanese manga i was not familiar with the property at all until i saw this trailer yeah it was called battle angel alita it ran from 1990 to 1995 so not like most prolific manga that's for sure yeah that was initial point of contention when we first saw the first trailer. The eyes are actually slightly bigger in the first trailer, and a lot of people said that it was like a like a pseudo weight washing thing. Now in in, in the manga, it's not in a uh, Asian world. It's actually set in like dystopian Kansas. You saw in the movie the bar was called Kansas, but. By doing the big eyes, big eyes are like a trope in anime with female characters and manga as well. And there was some talk that they were making the eyes bigger to try and give Alita like subtle Asian features. It's a bit of a walk, but either way, they made the eyes a little smaller. And I think the the big con- uh, part of concern, people were like, regardless of how you feel about that, will these eyes be distracting in the movie? Because they're just bigger, mm-hmm. you know, especially when you see her next to Christoph Waltz with normal sized <laughs> eyes. And I was actually didn't really notice them. At the end, I actually thought she was like really beautifully animated, mm-hmm. so I was surprised about that. But yeah, did you find them jarring after the movie got going? I didn't think I, I didn't think it was jarring. I just always kept noticing. I was like, "What's the point of these?" Like, I didn't know if maybe it was related to her being this like cyborg that is you know like this warrior. So like having bigger eyes in some sense like was an advantage. You know, there there was a lot of different things I was I was speculating on. I also kind of figured it was probably a callback to like anime culture in some sense because a lot of times like. People are animating yeah. your eyes and those. So I didn't think it was terribly the way. Just something kind of stood out to me. You mentioned Christoph Waltz. How did you feel about his performance in this? It's a pretty big role. Yeah, I kind of think about him the same way I think about Mahershala as a vector. 
they're overqualified for these roles. They're in this movie for the bag. Mm-hmm. That's about it. They both have a solid floor for acting. Obviously, neither of them is trying all that hard, but still fine. It's good enough. I also felt the way about Jennifer Connelly, who I did not know was in this movie until the movie started. She walks in or stops on the street, and I was like, the fuck? <laughs> She's in the- I didn't know she was here. I mean, she maybe she was in one of the trailers I did not know or remember. So, yeah, they're, they're overqualified in the spoilers. You see who's playing the big bad who they just tease in this movie, Nova. It's played by Ed Norton. Like, what the fuck? That was the that was my favorite part. Was I, I literally was like, so I was just ready to leave the theater. So I'm like walking out as they're like showing like the very end. And I was like, is that Edward fucking Norton? Like, holy shit. Crazy. I thought it was, I thought it was a good reveal. He's not even credited in the movie, which is, nope. I think, cool that they're teasing that. I'm, I'm suspecting this would probably be like, what, like a trilogy of some sort, maybe. Speaking of cameos, Michelle Rodriguez is the voice of one of Alita's warrior comrades mm-hmm. in the flashback scene. That's kind of an issue with the film, is that it so obviously teases future films. Nova has a presence throughout the movie when he does like that seeing through the contact lens implant they have, whatever, right? He's throughout as a, a big bat. So is the city in the sky. Yet, once like Act 2 is about halfway done, I'm like, yeah, we're not going there. There's no way. There's no time. And I think this, that's probably the issue with the screenplay, is that it kind of just gets really messy with this kind of stuff. And they're obviously setting up and doing, and the world building strong, but it's kind of getting in the way of this one movie itself. The problem is, this movie is projected not to make enough money. We're, we're recording this before the weekend's done, so we don't actually know the opening weekend, but it was projected to be like mid-20s. This movie caught a $170 million budget before marketing, so it's going to need China to save it and have any hope of a sequel. I guess it's kind of disappointing because I think it's definitely good enough that there should be an audience for this movie. There's an audience for Ready Player One. I think there should be an audience for this. I, I think it's an awareness issue. They were talking about this bombing for a while, but I don't know. I mean, if this is all we get, it is going to be disappointing when they spend so much time and capital in the screenplay on setting up movies that aren't going to get made. Well, especially because I feel like Rosa Salazar, who plays Alita, gave a really strong performance. She's been in movies in the past, and most recently she was in the Bird Box movie on Netflix. But I think that she really carried the film. I mean, she's obviously on the screen the most. The story runs through her character. But I thought Christoph Waltz and Mahershala both gave pretty middling performances and were really underutilized. Christoph Waltz, my favorite part, was just every time something really bad was about to happen to him he just kind of like stared at the person like he was just gonna get like murked. he just like and then alita just comes in and kicks butt so what's he staring at when he's actually acting probably nothing <laughs> true good point you know also giving him a, that big hammer i'm sure it's just something in like the the original story but like give him a different weapon like something a little more agile i don't know think think that through dr ito whatever <laughs> i don't know use, use your noggin someone that I was really glad they killed off with Hugo, Kian Johnson. I thought he was terrible. I thought his performance yeah, he's was not good. just, every time he said like a line, I was like, oh. Yeah, leaving the, the table setting for future movies aside, my biggest problem was I didn't really like the romance that much. I just thought that she's immediately smitten with him, fine, but they seem to like really connect. And I think his bad acting didn't help matters. <laughs> and then when they actually finally like make out in like the rain or whatever, or in the dark, whatever it was, uh, about halfway through, I laughed because like they started talking about like the touch and the sensitivity. I'm like, whoa, there's a lot of sexual innuendo that was definitely not intentional for the script. <laughs> so you have Mahershala and you have, and Mahershala is killed off in this as well. And you have Christoph Waltz. I feel like you could have like scaled back and gotten someone, you know, uh, a little bit less uh, top tier to play those and spend some money on getting a better actor to play opposite her because Hugo is such a big role and he plays such a vital part in her character development that just felt like miscasting in a lot of senses not really putting your resources in the right 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 baskets and the thing is i didn't actually mind his character i was expecting the movie to be really predictable and really formulaic again like the way mortal engines turned out and yes this doesn't like movie doesn't really surprise you that much but it it was a little more layered than i thought and i thought uh hugo's character was connections to vector and whatnot i was like all right i like this i think this is you know a pretty solid uh foundation but again it's it's not it's not done well also shout out lana condor Definitely did this before All the Boys I Love Before was out, but she has like five lines in this yep. movie. Cool. Ed Screen mm-hmm. and Jackie O'Haley are like some of the bad dudes, the hunter-killer dudes, whatever they're called. I really enjoyed the, the barroom brawl. I thought that was a good scene. Yeah, the whole scene in general, before they even start fighting too, was real fun. There's a lot to like about this. I really hope it gets a sequel because 
I look at like Hunger Games in this and I don't really see that much of a difference. I think the first Hunger Games is probably a better movie and you have Jennifer Lawrence like taking off as a star at that point. I, I really think that Elite Battle Angel could be similar to Hunger Games in terms of quality and I think for that it should be and it could even be better in terms of a war movie because it looked like those scenes of like fighting on like the moon or wherever they were looked pretty awesome yeah so like i'd for sure give me the prequels i guess i don't know but check out alita battle angel let us know what you think leave a comment below on this on this youtube video a very different movie (laughs) from alita battle angel cold war so alita battle angel came in at a bloated 124 22 minutes and cold war came in at a paltry 84 and man It could have gone on for probably another 20 minutes. I wouldn't have minded. Pavel Polakowski. I had never heard of him before. He's a foreign director. This is is a foreign language film, completely in Polish. Maybe some parts are in French because they're in France at parts. Yeah. Yeah. But it's all foreign language. Film this in black and white. Catching some Oscar buzz. It's nominated for Best Foreign Language Film. Yeah. Cold War. Sitting at 90% Rotten Tomatoes. Is that... Do you think that that's the right Rotten Tomatoes score for this? Yeah, well, the, the thing about this movie is even the bad reviews or the quote negative reviews are still really in awe of the cinematography and, and the filmmaking and, and the decisions. And the, the movie is so good about masking the flaws some people see in the movie. So yeah, I think it's deserving of all the acclaim. And frankly, it got more Oscars than were expected. Best Director for Paolo nomination. No one saw that coming. Also Best Cinematography and of course best foreign language film so i'm I'm really happy it did good because this is one of those movies where like powell won at con but we didn't get a trailer for the public until way later in the year and like by then we already kind of picked out we think we know most of the slate i'm like wait what's this movie mm-hmm. and it gets a really slow release doesn't come out it's only made like three million not even three million dollars worldwide which is all here so it's like low under the radar then i see it, i'm like wow i really wish this got more of a push because like like you said black and white polish subtitles it's a big ask for people mm-hmm. We've already been telling everyone already did Roma. Can they do this right. again? You know, this one also has a four three aspect ratio. It's definitely not Alita, yeah. right? But I, I think it's uh, actually like a really beautiful movie, and it's I, I really like Powell's uh, choices in terms of how it told the story. Mm-hmm. I think it deserves the acclaim for sure. You mentioned the trailer. That trailer, I remember watching it for the first time, and it really like captured me. And you know, it's this black and white, obviously very stylistic. Uh, a lot of close ups on Zula in the trailer with like the jazz singing underneath it was an awesome trailer and the movie definitely lived up to it and the cinematography i think is just like absolutely breathtaking you know there's so many different moments in this movie where i think about how it was shot or i can remember exactly what a scene looked like which is usually a testament that uh something really caught my eye you know i i think about like the beginning and also kind of the end where they're like in that like broken down church and uh, with the snow covering everything um, I think about them in like the jazz hall or the, the performances that the uh, people from the country are giving you know, especially when like Stalin is like in the background yep. there's so many different scenes like that walking through Paris or walking through like war war torn Germany a lot of really awesome moments I mean this follows Zula and and Victor or Victor um, yeah and Victor. and you know played by Joanna Cooligan Tomas Ka, uh, respectively, and they they give, I think, really great performances for a script that's very maddening. To like it, like watching their story unfold, I just wanted them to be like, "What the? What are you guys doing? Like, just just stop! Like all your back and forth, just figure it out." And I was actually surprised at how much I actually cared by the end. I give Pavel mm. a, a lot of credit for that because, man, I did not like these characters most of the time, but I still wanted them to end up together. And that's a testament to, I think, his filmmaking and telling this story, which apparently is inspired by his parents. What did you think of the performances? It's interesting because they're two different performances. Uh, Tomas is giving a more subdued, subtle, reserved performance, and he really holds that throughout. And then Joanna's giving more of a pent up I don't want to say rage, but like there's a lot under the surface with her, especially as she gets older throughout the story. And to your point about about the, the actual story and like their journey, the script doesn't really show any of the moments in between. I think this the screenplay is just the major events in their relationship as effectively side pieces for each other across the decades in Cold War, post-war Europe. Yep. Right? It's a it's a very uh, interesting premise. 
And the fact that it's also based off his parents is uh, a little little uh, eyebrow raising considering the story he's telling. Again, we don't <laughs> actually know how accurate it is for his in terms of his real experience, but still. And yeah, obviously cinematography stands out not only because it's black and white and because of the aspect ratio, but it's a lot of like medium shots. It's a lot of shots of the faces, stuff like that. And editing is super, super crisp and really complements the Again, these scenes that are just focusing on the major events in the relationship. That's just a really interesting way to tell a story of romance because it's very unconventional. Watching, I'm like impressed with everything the movie's making while also, again, like you, starting to actually get invested in the story. I know it was a little slow for me in the beginning. Like I wasn't really sure what I was, what to expect. Because again, the, the trailer doesn't really give too much away of what, what kind of movie it is. I mean, I hadn't seen Ida, Powell's best foreign film win in 2015, so I really wasn't familiar with his work. But I mean, the ending is dynamite. Yeah. So even though it took a second for me to get going, once we start really moving through Europe, I mean, there's a lot of locales, right? Poland, Berlin, Paris, Yugoslavia. Uh, once we start jumping around through that and seeing how their lives change, uh, I was in. Yeah. And again, such a short movie, but I feel like it really conveys a lot in a short amount of time. Absolutely. I mean, we're, we're going to get to this in a second, but do you think that this is going to like open doors for Pavel as a director here stateside? Because, I mean, he got he was a surprise nomination, but I think very deserving. And I really hope that this will open him up to doing some more films for American. Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, he did all the financing. He did a lot of work. He's talked about how he, because he wanted full control of this, and he kind of rejected any studio support. It's interesting. I I expect Joanna Cooley to get bigger. She's already a huge star in Poland, but I expect her to, you know, she's like 36, so she, I think it's better to have a, a new life in Hollywood. But yeah, as for Powell, he needs to, I guess he, it's up to him, you know, because like someone like Yorgos, one of his peers this year, another foreign director that uh, has also operated on his own terms, and we assume has had opportunities to go more conventional so you know i wouldn't uh, it doesn't sound like he wants to make any concessions in terms of his craft so i um, wouldn't be surprised if he continues to make operate at this uh, this small scale to be honest but now there's even more eyeballs on what he does which is can only be a good thing i, I can see him being similar to like barry jenkins in a way like being very careful with the stories he picks making these smaller films that are just really beautiful and well done even thinking about their style i mean obviously we talk a lot about the colors barry jenkins use so there's a contrast there but i think in terms of like how thoughtful they are with the shots and how they make very memorable like scenes and settings um i I think there's a lot of similarities there you know this is a probably a good time to transition into the oscars because, uh, you know, nominated for Best Foreign Film, it'll be interesting to see where we kind of land in terms of who wins that. But there's a lot to talk about the Oscars besides the awards. So let's start with that. This is going to be the first first Oscars in like what 30 years or so where there's no host. Obviously, Kevin Hart was slated to host this. The tweets came out where he was using obscene language about people in the LGBTQ community and he refused to apologize uh, and... He is no longer hosting and they don't have anybody. There was talk that the Avengers are going to be coming out and giving a lot of the awards out. Largely unconfirmed, but when you look at the the people who are presenting awards, there's a lot of people who are in the Avengers who are doing that. What do you think that this is a good move for the Oscars? I mean, this seems like seems very unconventional for a year where there's a lot of other storylines going on that could potentially derail this Oscars quickly. It's a very loaded question. Well, there's a lot of riding on it, too, because... Live event ratings across the board are down. ABC wants to at least slow that trend as much as possible. Kevin Hart was a great choice for a host. He's universally famous, really good entertainer. I, I, I respect what he does, even if I don't go and see most of his movies. But once he like walked back everything, it just wasn't going to happen. And I guess they didn't pull through with trying to get like some like reserve veteran like because Kimmel Ellen etc because there's not a lot of incentive to actually do this for anyone super famous they get paid a small amount given the stature of the people that do the hosting they have to do a lot of work to prepare for it and there's a lot of pressure and a lot of downside if you were to you know bomb uh, people throwing like oh Jennifer Lawrence should do it why would Jennifer Lawrence do this she has enough uh, up and downs with her career why on earth would she host the Oscars like so I really couldn't think of a, a great choice to to come in so we'll see how they do with uh having like big name actors do it i mean in in theory people like to watch them you know that's why we're watching um and i know the oscars were getting a little uh chippy with sag after in terms of like not letting people present at sag so we'll see who who that ended up being (laughs) but i just hope it runs smoothly even if like 
there's like not much of like a tenor. Like, because I know like sometimes we, we, how often do we really get excited about a host for anything, right? Not often. Like, we talked about Alicia Keys last week with the Grammys, but we could have totally done without her there, right? So, as long as like they just kind of like move through it, present, it doesn't slow down too much, I don't really mind. But again, we'll see because I, I also haven't seen one of the Oscars without hosts. So, you know, it'll be different for sure. Yeah, I think that, I think where this could potentially really hurt them is you know they're already deciding to cut out categories we're gonna or at least from the broadcast and we'll talk about that in a second but the thing with award shows is that people tune in to see the speeches and to see the reactions and to see these famous people that they like or care about responding to the the events going on in front of them that means that the time can start to run long or sometimes you need to cut things sometimes you need to kind of edit a joke and I think it when you have all these people that might be doing different skits or different bits in order to, you know, bring some pizzazz and, and you need that person that can kind of step up and be like, okay, well, da 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 da, quick, 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 boom, we're on to the next thing. Whereas that might be harder for people who aren't used to hosting or aren't used to being in this sort of situation, so they might not cut down on that as well. Um, I think also this might mean that we're mm. going to get a lot more like montages, which the Oscars just loves montages and. Honestly, they usually do them pretty well, and I'm usually like, oh, that was awesome to watch. But we don't need five montages of all the movies most people have seen before. Like, two Mm. is fine, especially if maybe you're, like, highlighting Mm. specific types of movies. But I worry that they might rely more on that without having a host. Yeah, that's a good point. There's some kind of opening monologue, generally. There's, like, the movies are awesome, right, montage. Which, as a movie fan, I love watching that every time, even if I've seen almost every scene on there. They're just well made. Of course, in memoriam at the end. And there'll be song performances from the nominated Only songs. two. If that's it, that's that's fine. I don't need much more than that. Just present the awards, let the people talk. But, but if you don't have a host, why not like why not give Emily Blunt time to get up there and do a song? Like the fact that she's not singing a song from Mary Poppins is like ridiculous. But uh they wanna leave time for God knows what to be in there. It feels like they really didn't think through and maybe they, they do, and I'm gonna be really surprised, but um it feels like they didn't really think through like the the economy of this like if you're taking out a host like how else can you use that time effectively it's like highlight like let everybody have a song performance why only show shallow and what all the stars is the other one that that they're letting perform it just well they change it they actually are performing all. oh they are okay i didn't see that my bad yeah scratch that like lin-manuel was pissed about it too and yeah, I mean, I, I think that's hard. Like, how, how are you going to cut off? Like, there's five nominated songs. Just play them. If you want, maybe trim it down. Like, do a pseudo medley. Fine. But, yeah, that's kind of a tough call to say, nah. Like, I mean, if anything, I would say rework the category in terms of how you award best original song. Because, like, All the Stars is probably going to be the runner-up for this. But that's not really a song I associate with Black Panther, the way Shallow is associated with Stars right. Born. So and in terms of the way it is now, yeah, just let them all, all go. And that's what they're doing. And so the whole like cutting awards from the broadcast, they did not decide to renege on that once everyone got pissed about it. And that's a problem. Yeah, it definitely is a problem. And just the fact that this is the how the Oscars are like making decisions. They're like, hey, we're going to have a most popular category. And people are like, what? And they're like, yeah. Never mind. <laughs> no big deal. Like, okay, we're we're only gonna play two of the songs in order to like save time. No, we're we'll just play them all because people got pissed. It's like they're just throwing things against the wall and seeing what people are like least upset about. And that doesn't feel like there's really much direction to it. Now you talked about them cutting the categories. Obviously, cinematography is a major one, but what, what other ones are being cut? I actually don't remember. It was it uh? It was like production design. Yeah, I think it was like makeup, um, production design and there's one other one i can't remember but the mostly smaller ones except for cinematography which how are you going to cut the category that is all about how we actually see the thing that we're there talking about it's just man i can't like (laughs) you know imagine imagine if last year we didn't see like in real time deacon win that award right what a travesty that would have been that's the thing with this too like what is their their goal to trim the runtime to attract younger viewers by inserting different things that they might be more interested in. I just think it's misguided because, and again, I think this is all basically tied to the, the plight to fix ratings. The Oscars, people that watch the Oscars want to watch the Oscars. People that don't, won't. People that will just check on Twitter will just do that. Make the Oscars for the people that like the Oscars, people that like movies, you know, and these types of movies. And while there's a lot of merit to doing some kind of doing a best stunt award, doing a breakthrough performance award, and also trying to find a way to honor movies that are more populist. 
primarily, ideally, just do that in the best picture category. And we kind of got that this year when Moose like a Star is born in Black Panther. But to cut awards, especially from less well-known fields, it's just really misguided. And frankly, it's a slap in the face to those branches of movie making because those are kind of speeches are often wonderful to hear too. Very disappointing. And like, again, cinematography. How can you do that? Every actor that got pissed, they cited cinematography. Like, it doesn't make any sense. It's just very disappointing. Maybe that maybe cinematography is a good place to start and talking about, you know, who's who's nominated and who we think is going to win, who we want to win. So best cinematography, the nominees are Cold War, The Favorite, Never Look Away, Roma, and A Star is Born. Who do you think will win? Who do you hope will win? Break it down for me. Yeah, I think this is two-horse race. Roma probably going to win as the one of three best picture nominees in the field but the one with the best chance to actually win best picture uh, in fact my favorite we'll get to that cold war we just talked a lot about that cinematography and i think it's a great choice but it's hard for a best picture nominee to lose to a non-best picture nominee if that best picture nominee is also going to win a bunch of other awards so i expect this to go to roma would but cold war i think is in play a star is born which will be a theme for tonight, didn't really pick up a lot of steam this award season. So any down ballot awards besides Best Original Song are not likely at all. I mean, Roma, I think, is a shoe in for this one. But I would be really, really happy if The Favorite somehow pulled this out, which, I mean, it's it's probably not going to. But I really think the cinematography in that was just so uh, stupendous. It was really, really well done. Yorgos... Uh, and the person who worked, worked with their cin- cinematography had a great eye um, and created some really wonderful moments. But any of those three, Roma, Cold War, the favorite for me, I, I think is deserved. Not not really much to th- think about there. What about best visual effects? What are we, what are we looking at there? Because we got Avengers. I mean, th- that, that that's the big one for Avengers right there. Christopher Robin, First Man, Ready Player One, Solo, Star, uh, Star Wars Stories. Solo, A Star is Born. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. <laughs> yeah, the, f- the funny thing about this is the BAFTA and Critics' Choice Award both won the Black Panther, which was not nominated by the Oscars. And I think most people think it's just going to go to Infinity War. Thanos, Josh Brolin's performance look pretty good. Wouldn't actually be my choice, though. I think Ready Player One, just because it's so much fucking effects, is probably the most impressive of the bunch. And there's a chance, I think, in another universe where First Man was way more nominated, there's a chance First Man actually does it because those are impressive effects, but not the effects that we think of in blockbuster terms. Practical effects, so, too, which I think it adds right, to the impressiveness. Right, more along the, the Mad Max sphere of things. But yeah, I think it'll be Avengers. I hope it's Avengers. I also I also think First Man is in this race and I this I actually might make make this my big upset. I think First Man might might take this home, I think, especially because it didn't get any more many more nominations. This might be it. Also just uh, I don't know if we're going to touch on it, but who was the composer for First Man cuz them not being nominated is a crime. Justin Hurwitz yes. was not nominated Thank for best you. original score for First Man despite winning the Critics Choice Award and the Golden Crazy. Globe for like, it. And, like, obviously, we'll just talk about best original score. It'll go to Nicholas Bertel for mm-hmm. Beale Street. It was a great year for scores, Bertel or Hurwitz. You could have went with either one. But, man, like, you can listen, listen to some of those songs from First Man on YouTube. They're great. So Especially the one when they, um, they're in the shuttle. Go, go actually in flight. It's awesome. So that, that was really disappointing on my, my part. And, like, Mary Poppins didn't pick up enough ski- steam to really get in on this. So, yeah, I think it's it's Beale Street in a walk. Yeah, definitely in a walk. All right, moving forward, what do you want to jump to next? Best animated picture? Any other? Best animated feature is interesting just because going in, we thought it would probably be the Pixar movie because odds are that's the correct choice. It's usually the one that wins. Nah, dog. But not this year. Spider-Man to the, Into the Spider-Verse has won fucking everything. PGA, Golden Globe, BAFTA, Critics' Choice. It's winning. And good for them, because it is, in fact, the best choice. I know there was some fear, like, oh, I Love Dogs, the adult animated movie could sneak in there. Um, That's not going to happen. And Incredibles 2, um, great choice, wins almost every other year, but not this year. Spider-Man is worth honoring, and I'm glad it's going to get this recognition. I I think it should have gotten a nomination for uh, Best Picture as well, just for how much of an achievement it was and we you know we talked about that in our our best of 2019 movies spider verse is amazing definitely should get the recognition moving into probably my favorite category best documentary free solo minding the gap hal county this morning this evening a fathers and sons and rbg i've seen it three of five and really i thought i was going to see four or five in this category because i thought uh, won't you be my neighbor horrible snub especially i 
Just watched it again the other day. What a wonderful movie. Feel good. Mr. Rogers, R.I.P. But I, I mean, minding the gap. And that's the thing. I don't think it's going to win. You think it's going to be free solo? Well, here, and here's the thing. Neighbor won the PGA. And Three Identical Strangers, another one we thought would be here, won the Director's Guild. So the only two doc, major doc prizes, uh, two of the major doc prizes went there. Free Solo won the BAFTA, though. So I think it's really Free Solo or, or that, like, there's a lot of evangelizing about RBG. I would not be shocked about that one. But Free Solo, I think, has like the biggest, best campaign of the bunch. I also think it made the most money behind Won't You Be My Neighbor. So it's an interesting one. I, I really, I'm not, not positive about it, but I think it's Free Solo RBG, which is disappointing because um, everyone who's seen Mind the Gap thinks it's perhaps the best movie of the year, not just best documentary. So, But at least it got there. It should be Minding the Gap. I think if anything beats it, it will be Free Solo. Uh, they, they do have a great campaign too. And uh, I haven't seen it, but I'm really excited to see that one. Ballad of Buster Scruggs, Black Klansman, Can You Ever Forgive Me, Feel Street Could Talk, and A Star Is Born are the nominees for Best Adapted Screenplay. My vote would be for Beale Street. I could see Black Klansman getting this one. And I, I wouldn't hate it. You know, it, it would suck if this is how Spike gets his first, you know, Oscar Academy Award. But who do you got in this category? Yeah, I think it's Black Klansman. They won the BAFTA. Beale Street did win the Critics' Choice Award. I think Beale Street's the second. It's really just between those two. But mm-hmm. Beale Street was very o- overlooked this year. Black Klansman, on the other hand, is nominated for Best Picture. Spike Lee, again, there's a lot of support for him. I don't, spoilers, I don't think he'll get his first Best Director, despite him obviously being deserving of this. So I think Black Klansman's definitely a shoe-in. I'm actually recording this before the Writers Guild Awards have happened, but all of those except Scruggs were nominated, and then the other one was Black Panther. So we don't actually know who won that, obviously. That would give us a little more insight. But yeah, I think it's Black Klansman. How is Scruggs even nominated? Feels like a weird nomination. I think even when it came out, we were like, Scruggs? Really? I, I didn't expect it, but I think it, I think it's it's deserving. You know, it's a, it's a pretty impressive screenplay. I mean, it's the Coens after all. Weren't only two of the stories adapted, though? Uh, is that right? Th- um, I'm not sure how the award like works, that. how much it takes. Yeah, That's I don't, a good question. It doesn't take much, but I just think for what Beale Street and Black Klansman worked to Scruggs was... Uh, just my opinion anyways moving on to original screenplay though the favorite first reformed green book roma and vice uh, a lot shorter names in that category who do you got winning this one yeah so this is similarly what the writers guild thought um only three of these are not were nominated for writers guilds green book roma and vice the other two were eighth grade and quiet place Hmm. quiet place what the hell does that even look like in terms of the script right (laughs) the favorite though not nominated for the writers guild just won the bafta of course Baptist duly and British, so that makes sense. And then First Reformed won the Critics' Choice Award, also not done by the Writers Guild. And Green Book won the Golden Globe, which sucks. But I think this is another one I can't quite put my finger on it because I feel like this is like this is the that act like that big award for Vice. Yeah. That is at a screenplay that some people detest and other people really like. And I think it's definitely a a screenplay that's doing a lot. But I also have been leaning towards the favorite, which yeah. I think also is. Despite it being tied for the most nominations this year with Roma, it's not going to win that much. And I think uh, this is a, a well-earned award for favorite, especially since Roma's going to get plenty of other stuff. So I would lean favorite, but I wouldn't be surprised if Vice or Roma wins. Because again, if Roma goes on a big run and wins a lot, leading it to Best Picture, you know, this could be one of those things. On the other side, if Doomsday happens and Green Book wins a lot and then wins Best Picture, it could be that. But Doomsday. <laughs> yeah no I'm, I'm leaning favorite I, it's actually interesting because i think favorite and vice were kind of put together in similar ways where they took a lot of different information from a lot of different texts to build these these scripts mm-hmm. uh, you know i would really really be so pumped if first reform like pulled this out i know it's probably like running fifth in this category but man i'm just happy you got nominated because that's a film yes. that should have been not uh nominated a lot more recognized a lot more but favorite for best original screenplay would be my pick best foreign language film man if searching had been in this category this would have felt impossible i think searching you mean burning 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 <laughs> searching is not uh foreign language film. sorry so we got Capernaum, roma cold war never look away and shoplifters who do you got yeah this is actually the most foreign language films i've ever seen this year I love Shoplifters. Roma was my number two movie of the year. Love Cold War. Burning was my number one. It's not here. And the weird thing is Never Look Away, the German entry, was nominated despite no one fucking seeing it. I think it's still only playing in two theaters. Like It's so slow. It's I think it just got to California. It was in just a New York theater for like weeks. So that that's a little weird. That being said, it's going to be Roma. 
because Roma's the only one of these that was nominated for Best Picture. So that kind of spoils the category in a sense. But it also won a Globe, won a BAFTA, and won the Critics' Choice for Best Foreign Language. And then the other ones won it. Second place, obviously, would be Cold War, giving its other noms. But yeah. I mean, this is the walk of walks. The odds are shitty, still bet everything. Right. And honestly, it's uh, it's deserving. Like, it, it should win, I think, best foreign language film. Okay, so now we're moving into a category, which I think we can kind of fly through. Best actress in a supporting role. There's a lot of star power in, in this category. We got Amy Adams, Rachel Weisz, Emma Stone, Marina Di Tavera from Roma, and Regina King from A Feel She Could Talk. With all those names, I, I, Regina King, are we really going to spend time on this category? Well, that's the thing. This is actually, I think it's still kind of open. I think it's actually really? really weird. Yeah. We can write off two or three, actually. Amy Adams, once again, was great. She's been nominated again. She'll get her time. She's not going to win this year. Marina De Tavira, Roma, again, a happy to be here nom. One of the signs that Roma should have a big night because no one saw this one coming. Mm-hmm. And then Emma Stone. Also wonderful, but she's running behind Rachel Weisz. So it's between Rachel Weisz and Regina King for me. Weisz won the BAFTA recently, and King won the Golden Globe and the Critics' Choice Award. Here's the problem, though. Regina King was not nominated by the SAG Awards, and the SAG Awards picked Emily Blunt in A Quiet Place to win, obviously not here for the Oscars. Mm -hmm. Only one other time has someone who wasn't even nominated by the the SAG um, in any acting categories actually won the Oscar. So she's definitely going up against a lot, Regina King, in terms of just like the history of how these votes go. That being said, the Academy, 30% of it joined the last four years, so you can't totally rely on past trends. I think I'm still going to lean Regina King. I love Rachel Weisz, but I think it's a lot closer than people people have been thinking. But we've kind of just been penciling in Regina King this whole time. But being overlooked by the SAG, I think, definitely says a lot, considering the actors are, in fact, the biggest voting group. And this is why that they should show us all the votes. Show us how the voting breakdown. Who cares? I want to see like how close this race actually is because I think this is Regina King on a walk, but your your logic makes sense, and I think this category probably is closer than the uh, the next category, which is best actor in a supporting role, because this is just going to be Mahershala Ali, man. We got Adam Driver, we got Sam Rockwell, Sam Elliott, and Richard E. Grant, but it's Mahershala and maybe Richard E. Grant, but it's Mahershala. Right. So Richard E. Grant ran a great campaign, and he would also be. An awesome win, considering Mahershala literally just won for Moonlight. But Mahershala also won the SAG, the Globe, the BAFTA, and the Creative Choice Award. He won every one so yep. far. And we thought his competition would be Timothy Chalamet. He ain't even here. <laughs> no, not <laughs> So, not yeah. Mahershala will win his second acting award in three years. Very impressive. And whether you like to want to hold something against Green Book, like me and you do, his performance is still very good. And uh, I think, uh, that, that again, that's, that one's pretty obvious. So best actress in a leading role. If you had asked me probably like three weeks ago who's going to win this, I was like, okay, Glenn Close, just lock it up. She's got this. But recently, Olivia Coleman has been getting some love. And I'm excited because, you know, you got Yelitsa Aparicio, which shout out her. I'm really glad she got a nomination. Again, a sign that Roma probably will have a big night. Glenn Close, Olivia Coleman, Lady Gaga, and Melissa McCarthy. But I think Coleman might take this one home. And I think... I think there's two pieces to it. One, I think if Vice and, and Stone, I mean, Stone's not going to win the supporting actress, but I think because Gina King will take that one home, people are going to lean towards giving Coleman the recognition for this. And I also think, though, Glenn Close was, I haven't seen her performance, but here is excellent in The Wife. The Wife isn't a great movie um, from everything I've heard. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I think that they might want to give some love to Coleman in, in this case to give the favorites some love in retrospect. Yeah. Going into the into the race, I was like, it's Coleman. It'll be Coleman. She's the best. I do think she's the best performance. I was like, Coleman or Gaga. Then the close thing happens. And I've seen The Wife. It's not a good movie. <laughs> Her performance is good, though. She has been nominated six times in acting Oscar categories and never won. And she should have won by now, obviously. She's a, definitely a landmark actress. This feels a lot like Gary Oldman with Best Actor even if it's uh, not a transformative performance. And she did win Craig's Choice, SAG, the Golden Globe for the drama. Coleman just won the BAFTA. Again, they lean a little British. That makes little sense. And then she won the Comedy Globe. Meanwhile, Gaga's never won anything except she tied with Close for the Craig's Choice. So Gaga never happened. It's Close or Coleman. I've been feeling like i got to say Coleman this whole time because that was my gut. But I just feel like they're going to lifetime achievement and give it to Close. Especially after, like, her and Coleman have both been giving good speeches so far. Mm-hmm. But I think it'll be close, even though Coleman would be my actual choice. You think it's going to be close? 
It might hey. be close. I'm going Coleman on that one. Also, shout out Lady Gaga. I mean, we were talking about how after Star is Born, there's no way that she could lose this. And now I cannot see any way that she could win that category. Best actor in a leading role. Bradley Cooper, Christian Bale, Willem Dafoe, Rami Malek, Vigo, Morton's son. Like my, my guy Dave Martin's son. It should be Christian Bale, I think. He turned into Dick Cheney on screen, similar to Gary Oldman last year. And we know how much right. you know Oscar voters love to see that. But all indications would say this is going to be Rami Malek, right? Yeah. And again, going in, we're like, Cooper, man, inside track. It's going to be Bradley. Oh, didn't happen. Stars Born could legitimately come in 10th in Best Picture. Or 8th, sorry. Not 10th, dog. Best Actor. Yeah, Willem Dafoe. He took Ethan Hawke's spot, dog. Why'd you have to do that? He's very good at Turney's Gates. It's actually a very cerebral performance as Vince Van Gogh. I liked it. But this was Hawk, man. Come on. Uh, Vigo doesn't have a ho- chance. It's going to be Rami. And like honestly, this is a real. there's a perfect analog to this. I did not find this out on my own. I saw someone else tweet this. Four years ago, Michael Keaton in Birdman, he won the Comedy Golden Globe and two Critics' Choice Awards. Then Eddie Redmayne won the Drama Globe, the SAG, the BAFTA, and then he won the Oscar. This year, Christian Bale, again, won the Comedy Golden Globe and two Critics' Choice Awards. Rami won the Directors Guild, the SAG, the BAFTA. It's the same exact analog. And also, Rami, an American, beating Bale, a Brit, at the BAFTAs, I think, tells you all you need to know. It's happening. Uh, Whether you like Bohemian Rhapsody or hate it, Rami will win an award for that movie. I know there might be some backlash after his comments regarding Brian Singer, left will be desired, and those did happen right before the voting period happened, so I guess that could be on the mind, but there's just too much precedent, I think, even though I also would pick Bale. I think he's the best, and I also think Cooper is better as well. But yeah, Rami, I mean, he's a guy we like a lot, so I'm not going to be mad about him personally winning, but it's going to be him. Give Rami all the awards for Mr. Robot, just not for this role. He's such a more talented actor, and he played Freddie Mercury really well, but to basically do karaoke for this and get this award just feels feels just not right. I really hope Bell gets... The, the win but it's gonna be rami Let, let's move on to achievement in directing we got spike lee powell palakowski palakowski yorgos lanthimos alfonso coron and adam mckay i mean it's gonna be alfonso coron but man if yorgos somehow stuck away with this i'd be giddy because i really think he probably did the best job directing but i think coron not only he's got the clout but he did such a good job with roma it's got nominated to other, every other category pretty much like how does he not take it home? Yeah, and Quaron winning is also an on- honoring everything else he did making this movie. He did his own, he was his own director of photography. That's like unheard of. You know, he, he did so much into making this. And he also won literally every prize thus far for directing. No one else has won anything. It is the second time two foreign full language film directors were nominated the same year, first time since 1976. So that's nice to see. And I do agree. I, I was actually very happy Yorgos got in here. I know there was some fear that Peter Fairley would get in for Green Book. So I was really glad they went with Yorgos. And Powell was uh, unexpected. You know, we thought maybe Barry Jenkins still sneak in there. Uh, obviously, Damien Chazelle's campaign fizzled out. But there's talk that, you know, Spike Lee maybe could mount the campaign again. This is kind of a better late than never pick for him, obviously. This is not Spike's best film by a long shot. But Quaron's just an unstoppable force right now. Yeah, you know, and he he is the best director of the year, so I think it's it's well deserved. So I'm looking forward to that one. All right, so we talked at the beginning of this segment about how there's so many ways that this Oscars could end in basically the Academy on fire and Best Picture. I mean, th- this could really actually set the building on fire. I think we got Black Panther, Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favorite, Green Book, Roma, A Star Is Born, and Vice. Is it gonna be Green Book? Is it gonna be Bohemian Rhapsody? If so. There, there might be riots in the street. Yeah, I think it's a two-horse race. It's Roma or Green Book. That's it. Star is Born, we thought, was the front runner coming in. Nothing. Vice, also nothing. Black Klansman also hasn't won anything. I think it's in the middle. Moves up a little bit, probably with preferential balloting, but I, I don't, don't, don't think the moment's coming. Favorite, again, tied for most nominations with Roma, but as we said before, it's probably going to come short in most of those. I don't, it's not going to get in here, especially after missing out on best film with the BAFTA, which would have been probably its best hope to get going, right? Roma won at the BAFTAs, the DGAs. Green Book won the Golden Globe for comedy, and Bohemian Rhapsody won the Golden Globe for drama. Roma, of course, was not eligible for either of those because it's a four-language film and the Globes are ridiculous. The SAGs, though, they gave their pseudo-best picture award, their best cast, to Black Panther, which was a weird wrinkle this year. 
Um, I still don't think Black Panther has a chance, even though, but I'm really glad it was picked. You know, I think the movie is bigger than just a superhero movie, both culturally and in terms of its themes. I will gladly argue with people that it handles race and African themes better than Green Book does pretty easily. That being said, Romo or Green Book, Green Book, fairly not nominated for Best Director, bad sign. You know, the, the track record makes it a little harder for Green Book to sneak in there. The problem is Driving Miss Daisy in one Best Picture. A Green Book is literally Driving Miss Daisy. Right. And then Argo was the other one that did this when Ben Affleck wasn't nominated. That was our thoughts for Star Wars Born. That didn't happen. So I think it's Roma or Green Book, but Roma picking up the BAFTA two weeks ago, I think really like hammer it home for me. It's by no means a safe pick. I think either of these could happen. Don't know how much Netflix bias there might be in the voting. But I think because the voting just happened and Peter Fairley had put his foot in his mouth, Nick Fallalonga put his foot in his mouth, stuff about the accuracy, the fact that uh, the internet doesn't like it. That doesn't certainly does not speak for everybody who votes on these things. But I think it's Roma. I'm feeling pretty good about it. I'm positive Bohemian Rhapsody won't win. So that's good because Green Book at least is a well-made film, even if it's morally bankrupt. Bohemian Rhapsody is offensive to be in the category. Best case scenario is Roma. Uh, second best case scenario is Black Panther, I think. You know, somehow gets like the, the was it preferential voting or the the tiered voting, however, whatever the name of it is. Worst case is Bohemian. Uh, second worst case is Green Book. So, but the thing is, we're living in a timeline where those four possibilities um, are real possibilities. I do think Roma will will get the award. I think it'll be a big night for it. I'm looking forward to hearing uh, Quran talk about it and having it be you know, a foreign language film that in this day and age is taking home right. you know, the, the best picture award. But man, it, if Green Book wins, Twitter might actually just explode. Like the, the the takes would be seething like through the my phone at me. Mike Francesa will be happy though. Yeah. Oh. Well. Old white men love the movie. That's who it was made for. If there's someone whose movie taste I care about, it's Mike Francesa for sure. You know. Either way, <laughs> it'll be a really interesting Oscars to watch. So I I hope that that the people are tuned into what the narratives are because I think it really makes it a fun show to watch this year, and I hope people tune in. Um, we will be breaking it down right after giving you a short breakdown of all the the things that come up in our takes on it. So tune into that. Also give us a subscription on the page. Any last thoughts on you know the Oscars? Maybe a maybe like one dark horse prediction or something that you really want to see win. I really want First Man to win sound mixing and sound editing. Everyone knows I really like that movie more than most people, and because it got ridiculously overlooked in score, I really want to win down there. Those are actually interesting categories just because. Roma's there, Rhapsody's there, Stars Born's in mixing. I feel like those ones could go a lot of ways. Tough to really call those. And then lastly, on those other categories, best makeup and hairstyling, Vice will get something. They'll get that one. I think that those are good picks. Uh, I'm just hoping Mind the Gap gets the best documentary because I think it was the best documentary. So we'll see. But I haven't seen Free Solo, so that, that might change my mind. Anyways, tune into us afterwards. Leave us a five star rating and review. Give us all the feedback. Follow us at NostalgiaPod on Twitter, and we'll catch you after the Oscars. Yeah.